sermon number 558, the father and his son preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, January 10th, 1970. The text is Luke, the 15th chapter, the 11th through the 32nd verses, the parable of the prodigal son. It's always nice to come back home, and this is no exception. I bring all of to all of you, greetings from our many members and friends of Bakerstown Church who are presently suffering in the 85-degree heat of southern Gold Coast of Florida. Many of them wanted to be remembered to you individually and collectively, and I bring greetings from those suffering people to all of you here back home. Also, on this second Sunday of another year, I want to call your attention to the fact that this year is the year of centennial for the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. It's kind of hard to envision that it was just exactly 100 years ago this month that a group of people were coming to the final decision that a church should be built upon this very spot of God's real estate, and that in this part of the kingdom there would be a church which, 100 years later, would be flourishing as we hope we are a vital part in God's kingdom throughout the world. There are many, many plans that have been made by your Centennial Committee, which was appointed over two years ago, and they are going to be calling upon many of you, many of us, during these coming months to use what talents we might have in glorifying God at this great time of the celebration for the Centennial. And I would encourage every member and friend of the congregation who is asked to please respond enthusiastically, for truly we are a very blessed people. We are the recipient of so many of God's wonderful gifts to us as individuals and as a congregation and corporation. And I know that when the committee chairman and uh, the committee, subcommittee chairman, call upon you, you people will respond. For it's only as we all get excited about this great day that we will be able to find the wonderful things that God yet has in store for us if we have faith to believe that they will come and expect them to come according to his due schedule and calendar. You notice today in the front of the bulletin, a new piece, which is the original composition of artist Jack Steffen. This has been made for the centennial, and it will appear on the next 50 Sundays on the front of the bulletin. Now, this is basically the official symbol of the centennial. If you've been observant, you have noticed that out here in the west porch, Immediately outside the narthex, which we call the main entrance to our church, there has been added every two weeks or so a 
another portion of this symbol which yesterday was brought to its completion as Jack Stephan put it in its final form. This particular symbol, or variations of it, appear on all official publications of this church during this year. It will be not only the front piece for the bulletin, but it will be a part of our stationery and newsletter and all the items which are a part of the official publications of this church during this year of the centennial. The committee under the direct chairmanship of Howard Taylor, the coordinator is Jack Stephan, and those of you who have been invited are reminded of the meeting which will be held tonight for which we want all who have been invited to feel that it is necessary for you to be here as we put into final operation the stages which are going to be mounting in these weeks ahead for a wonderful celebration throughout the whole year. While I was away, I spent some time in study and in scheduling and planning. And really, as I look over the coming year, I'm almost taken back with exhaustion now as we contemplate what all is going to happen. With the coming out in the spring of the pictorial directory, with the centennial celebration, which will be highlighted in the month of May, with the Bethel series, which will be starting the congregational level in October or November, Together with our regular activities, all I can say, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful great year in the life of this church. And we want all of you to be a part of it, and those of you who are a part of the radio congregation and feel that you are a part of Bakerstown Church, we, we truly hope that you will become as excited about this time of celebration, that you will remember all of us in your prayers, and when called upon, everyone please Respond enthusiastically for a great blessing which is ours to head towards the 200th year of a history of what we know will prove to be a great church in God's kingdom. Rather a lengthy announcement, but I think very important. And now please listen closely as you hear the word of God as it's read from a very important passage of scripture, one that is very familiar. Luke, the 15th chapter, the 11th verse, is where we begin. Jesus went on to say there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me now my share of the property. So the father divided the property between his two sons. And after a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living. He spent everything he had. Then a severe famine spread over that country and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who had sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. Well, he wished he could fill himself with the bean pods the pigs ate, but no one gave him any. And at last he came to his senses and said, All my father's hired workers have more than they can eat, and here I am about to starve. I will get up and go to my father and say, Father, 
I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and started back to his father. And he was still a long way from home when his father saw him, and his heart was filled with pity, and he ran, threw his arms around his son, and kissed him. Father, the son said, I've sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father called to the servants, Hurry, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, then go get the prize calf and kill it. And let us celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. And the feasting began. The older son, in the meantime, was out in the field. On his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, What's going on? Your brother came back home, the servant answered, and your father killed the prize calf because he got him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother was so angry that he would not go into the house, so his father came out and begged him to come in. Look, he answered back to his father, all these years I have worked like a slave for you, and not once did I disobey an order of yours. What have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes, and when he comes back home, you kill the prize calf for him. My son, the father answered, You are always at home, and everything I have is yours. But we have to have a feast and be happy. For your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. I'm sure all of you recognize this familiar piece of scripture as being a story which Jesus told and which we know is the parable of the prodigal son. But I wonder if you've ever stopped to realize that this parable is really the story of a loving father and two sons, sons with whom he had so much trouble. How that man ever got any sleep at night or kept from getting gray hairs, I'll never know. For if ever a father had trouble with his sons, it was this father that Jesus told about in the story. Like any loving father, this man who knew that God had given him a gift, a miracle in the form of the flesh of his two sons, he was anxious to see that these two boys grew to maturity, that they would be creative, responsible, happy individuals. And the father thought, like many of you fathers and mothers, that if he could do anything to help these boys achieve that end of fulfillment and of maturity. He would have to teach these sons two things. One, responsibility. And two, to show to them the true meaning of love. For what is a life if it does not know the meaning of responsibility? And what good is a life 
if it does not know the meaning of love. So the father set about to achieve these two things in the life of his sons, to teach them responsibility, to be a good citizen, and secondly, to teach them the meaning of love. Now with the younger son, the baby of the family, the one whom we traditionally call the prodigal, the father was able to show that boy love, but he was never successful in teaching him responsibility. The father knew that if he were going to teach responsibility to both sons, he would have to teach them things like law, the law of God and the law of man, laws which are here to benefit us, not just to restrict us. He would have to teach those boys rules and reverence and obedience and respect for those rules. He would have to teach them discipline. He would have to teach them obligation. He would have to teach them citizenship. And the young son just wanted none of this. He was a boy who was, well, like so many of our young people today, he, he was interested more in expression than he was in restriction. He wanted to do his own thing. He, he wanted to rile this blood that was dancing in his veins, this red, pulsating, hot blood to find expression throughout the whole world. He was not interested in just learning these ancient moralisms that his father was trying to teach because he had been taught by his father. He was not interested in stale convention of doing things today simply because that's the way we did them yesterday. He was not interested in knowing anything about the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. Live! Express yourself! He was an individual who got awfully tired of his old man. He was a person who thought that his father really didn't know too much. And the best thing he could do would be to leave home and live the life that he wanted to live. So he went to his father and he asked for his portion of the inheritance. Now I'm sure the father, being a very wise and loving father, spent time in talking with this boy, counseling him. I wouldn't be a bit surprised that maybe he cuffed him around a little bit. But one thing that he did not do is the thing that no loving father can do or would do. And that is force his son to stay home. He did everything in his power to try and keep him there, but he would not use force or restraint and make that boy stay home. So he gave the boy his inheritance, and the boy left. He left behind a father that was broken-hearted, disappointed, and felt as though he, he had been a complete failure in helping his son to grow into responsibility. He left behind also an elder brother who was very industrious and who was proving to be a very responsible individual. And he went to a far country. He went on a trip. He went where he felt he could live, not as people wanted him to live or as he ought to live, but live the way he wanted to do, doing whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. And he went to this far country and... Uh, 
He did many of the things which boys in those days could do only if they had a vast sum of money. And after all, he had money. It was really not his, but it was his father's, but he used it. He was an individual who became a vehicle of uncontrolled passion. He was an individual who knew every appetite and fed that appetite. He was an individual who had many friends of both sexes. And he was an individual who allowed himself to do what he wanted to do. And to him, he knew this as freedom. The whole thing with freedom is that it is not able sometimes to counteract some of the things that happen in life. And even freedom has not been able ever to counteract the power of a famine. And that is what happened in this far-off country. There was a time when there was no food, and what was there available was most expensive. And what little money this boy had left, he, he had to spend it so that he had nothing. And then this boy found out, what many of us have not yet found out, that freedom is not free. And he found this out down in a pigsty, where he was forced to go as a slave if he were going to eat. And he would have been very happy even to, to feed upon those bean pods which were given to the swine, but nobody would even give him one of those little pods to eat. And here it was that that young prodigal came to his senses and realized a very important truth in life. And that is that an individual really cannot serve God and mammon, that he can only serve one master, not two. It has to either be this or that, not both and, and that an individual in this life either chooses to live as a son or he is forced to live as a slave to somebody or something. The book of Genesis tries to tell us this, and many of us don't learn it too early in life, but it is that man has freedom only within limits. And whether you like it or not, the truth still remains. The only real freedom any person has here in life is the freedom to choose whether or not he will live as a son or live as a slave. And this boy realized that in giving up his roots, giving up the opportunity to learn responsibility, leaving home, and more or less telling his father that he didn't know what he was talking about, this man had actually chosen in his freedom to become a slave. And he found this out in the pigsty, and he decided he had made a mistake. And he would go back to his father. So he got out of the pig pen, and he returned on that same road where he had come in the opposite direction as a man seeking freedom. He now was returning home as a slave. And the whole way home, he was rehearsing a speech that he would make to his father. Father, I've made a big mistake. I've been wrong. I'm sorry. I have sinned against you and against our Father in heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He, he rehearsed this speech and rehearsed it the whole way home. 
that he was always wondering how his father would react. He wasn't quite sure. And even while he was a distance from home, the father who had every day looked out the window for that familiar sign of his son, saw the son coming and recognized him in rags and in dirt and in all, and he ran out to meet his son. And before the son could get the words out of his rehearsed speech as to how he had made a mistake and sinned and, and done everything else wrong, the father didn't say a word. He just merely put his big, lovable arms around the son, his now skinny son, welcoming him back. He probably kissed him. And the only thing the father said was in the form of an instruction to the servant, get some clothes and put it on his ragged back. Put a ring of honor on his finger. Get some shoes and put them on his bare feet. Kill the fatted calf and let us feed his undernourished body. And, and the son, that that moment, realized that he was in the midst of a miracle. The father had an absolute right to address that son with words of reproof. He had absolute right to question him, where were you and what have you been doing? He would have been in his perfect right to request restitution for everything that this young boy had squandered. He could have sentenced him to a period of quarantine. He could have checked to see whether or not the boy had a, sense, had a real sense of guilt for everything that he had done. He could have set a probation period. But the father did none of this. He merely threw open his arms to express a miracle, a miracle which is called love. And he said, this son who was lost was now found. The one whom they thought was dead was now alive. And all this man could do was cry and laugh and be happy because of love. And this boy, though perhaps, and we don't know, and we probably think he never did, learned responsibility. We know that he learned the meaning of love. And this boy was never the same because of a father who had given definition, concrete expression to the greatest thing in the world, love. He did not teach him responsibility. But he taught this elder, or this younger parallel, prodigal, the meaning of love. But that wasn't the father's only problem. He said he had two sons. And the other son was the eldest boy, and he was a good boy. He never went to any far-off country. And he had learned the lessons well, and he became a responsible citizen, able dependable, conscientious, straight as a die. You could depend upon him like you could the rising of the morning sun. 
He had everything that was necessary for good citizenship. Even, you know, while the party was going on. He was out in the field working, and when he came in that night, he, he heard the merrymaking, and he called over one of the servants, What's going on? Your brother who was lost has been found. He's home, safe, and sound. And this eldest son, you see, who was a good man and a very responsible person in the community, he could have said, My brother... He's home? Is he all right? Wonderful thanks be to God. But he didn't. He could have thought, oh, that old renegade, what, what problems he has caused my father, but at least I am happy for my father because now that man can sleep at night, not wondering whether or not his youngest son is living or dead because that one who was lost was now found and was home. And he didn't say that. He could have started to, to trot and then get into a fierce run and throw open the doors of the house and go in and rub the head of that younger brother and, and throw his arms around him even though he couldn't approve of what he did. He could have expressed his feeling of joy and of happiness of knowing that the boy was back home. But he didn't. He just became very angry. He refused to go into the house. And the father left the party and he came out. And the father then had to realize that he had not only a prodigal who had been in a far country, he had a prodigal at home all the time and he didn't even know it. For this man, though, he had learned the lessons of responsibility and had become a very responsible person. He had not learned the meaning of love. The father had to stand there as this individual, who really was very self-righteous, began to condemn the father for loving in a very real and wonderful and all-encompassing way. And this eldest son, you see, he somehow had the impression that love was something that you receive for doing a duty the right way. That love was payment for a job that you had done faithfully. That love was something that didn't belong to the whole wide world, but was exclusive, and it belonged only to those who deserved it. And the father stood there in utter amazement. He didn't argue with the boy, because you can't argue about love. You either understand it or you don't. And the elder son didn't. The father said, you're with me all the time. What is mine is yours, yours is mine. And it's only right that we should be happy. Because this too is a son of the father. We love him. And, and when the story ends, you see, the elder son still doesn't understand. And the party is going on in the father's house. But the elder son is standing outside. The door is shut, and nobody shut it on him. He shut it himself, and this man was barred from the joy of heaven and of happiness because of his lovelessness. 
The father had produced a son that knew not responsibility, but he knew the meaning of love. And he had also produced another son that was very responsible, but he knew not the meaning of love. That's the story that Jesus told, and he told it not with the idea that we would think that one of these or both of them were heroes, that we should emulate their actions. I don't think it was Jesus' wish at all that we would become like the younger son and live and, and go out and find the true meaning of God's grace through love and forget all about responsibility. No, that wasn't his idea. Nor did he want us to become so responsible that we forget the meaning of the greatest thing in the world, love. No, he, he, he didn't want us to do that. He, he told that story to try and show us that our Father in heaven loves us all. And though he wants us to be responsible and very loving people, if some of us do not learn responsibility, he, he still loves us. And if we are willing to come to our senses and turn from our sinful ways and repent, that's what the Bible calls it, and go back home and become the people that God would have us to be, he'll ask no questions, he'll just receive us into the warmth of his love and into the fellowship of his household called the church. But even if we don't, he still loves us, and he's still waiting for us to come home. But he's also trying to tell us in that parable that those of us who are faithful and good citizens and don't lie and cheat and steal and, and who do go to church and, and who are dependable citizens in the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven, that we've got to be careful that we're not so dependent upon our citizenship that we forget the meaning of love. Because when we do, you see, then we bar ourselves and disqualify ourselves from being a part of the Father's love. He can't love us if we don't know the meaning of love. 